Hey y'all, welcome to this week's episode of Unfit to Print. I'm your host, Amber Athey. I'm the Washington editor for The Spectator and a senior Blankley fellow with the Steamboat Institute. Before we get started, please subscribe to the show on YouTube, Rumble, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. And if you'd like to become a premium subscriber, head on over to amberathey.supercast.com. This week, we're covering the biggest hoax in Duke sports since the lacrosse team's fake rape case. Sydney Sweeney's family is under attack by the woke mob. Joe Biden is being super inclusive again. California is in the midst of an electric vehicle crisis. And finally, one country singer's wife is taking on the entire progressive country industry. All that and more just ahead on this week's episode of Unfit to Print. You might recall back in 2006, there was a rape case that broke the media. The Duke lacrosse team was accused of sexual assault by a group of strippers they had invited for a party. It turned out that the accusations were totally bogus and all of the members of the lacrosse team were eventually cleared. The story mainly exploded because the left-wing media, with the help of Rolling Stone, basically made it out that these players were guilty before the case ever went to trial. In fact, they accused the university of creating an atmosphere where sports stars were allowed to get away with absolutely anything. So it was no wonder that this group of lacrosse players had gang raped these poor strippers. It turned out that none of it was true, but the damage was done. These players' reputations and names were forever tied to these false accusations of rape. We're now looking at a brand new sports hoax involving Duke University, but this time the Duke sports players are not the victims, they're actually the aggressors. According to the mainstream media, a Duke University volleyball player by the name of Rachel Richardson was playing in a match against Brigham Young University in Utah when the player was subjected to disgusting racial slurs each time she served the ball for her team. The slurs were allegedly being yelled from the student section, and not only did the BYU team do nothing to stop it, but the Duke team was forced to ask a police officer to go stand by the bleachers to make sure the incident didn't happen again. After the match, Rachel Richardson complained about the way the situation was handled and was angry that no one was held accountable for allegedly calling her these slurs. The BYU athletic director was immediately super apologetic and offered to meet with Rachel Richardson at her hotel room the next day. He profusely apologized, said that BYU doesn't tolerate racism, and promised Richardson that nothing like this would ever happen again. However, this was not enough for the Duke team. Richardson released a statement stating that although she appreciated the athletic director's apology, They should have preemptively removed whoever the perpetrator was from the stands and made sure that it didn't happen again. She also was upset that the BYU volleyball team's head coach apparently chose not to come and meet with her. The BYU head coach ended up actually getting death threats because of this. So if we're to believe the mainstream media's retelling of events, as well as Rachel Richardson's accusations, Then someone in the BYU student section was repeatedly shouting the N-word during a volleyball game, but no one around them thought to stop them, the police didn't get involved, BYU's team members or coaches didn't get involved, and also the incident is curiously not on videotape. If everything about this incident sounds a little too good to be true, 
then you've probably been paying attention the past five to 10 years at pretty much every hate crime that has turned out to be a hoax. Whether the perpetrator actually turns out to be someone who is black, such as in a case when swastikas were drawn on the outside of a church or a synagogue, or if the alleged victim made up the incident entirely in the hopes of gaining attention and perhaps money. That was the case when a teenager in New York City claimed that her hijab had been torn off her head on the subway, and it turned out that she had fabricated the entire incident. And sure enough, as more reporting came out on Richardson's tall tale, it seemed like her story was pretty quickly falling apart. It turns out that Rachel Richardson was not actually the first person to go public with the allegations, although she claims she did talk about the person calling her and Edward from the stands to coaches during the game, she was not the person who first publicized this so that the media picked up on it. It was actually her godmother. And coincidentally, her godmother is running for public office in Texas. She wants to be elected as a judge on a circuit court in Texas. Richardson's godmother's name is Lisa Pamplin, and Pamplin tweeted that Richardson was called the N-word, quote, every time she served. She was threatened by a white male that told her to watch her back going to the team bus. A police officer had to be put by their bench. Pamplin was not actually at the game herself, but Richardson later released her own statement on Twitter claiming that this did in fact happen. Her story was quickly picked up by multiple major news outlets including ABC, Good Morning America, Deadspin, and ESPN. On ESPN, she gave an interview talking about the incident and essentially praising herself for how strong she was in the face of this horrible racism. Listen to this interview. I believe that meeting anger with anger, it just starts a cycle of more anger. As a young Black woman in America, I know I don't have the privilege of reacting all the time, or else it paints that face of, oh, you're just another angry Black woman. I felt as though responding to it in the way that I did would help the greater purpose. And that's creating awareness. And that's allowing everyone from both sides to better see the fact that we should all be working towards a common goal. We shouldn't be trying to create two sides. And naturally, LeBron James, who infamously suggested that black men were being hunted down in the streets, jumped on this story and said that he had Richardson's back. However, when we start looking into details, it turns out the whole thing gets a little bit murky. It's kind of convenient that Richardson said in this ESPN interview that she didn't react to the slur because she didn't want to come off as an angry black woman because when we actually review footage of the game, that's right, the entire game was caught on video from multiple BYU camera angles there's no evidence that anyone in the crowd is yelling a racial slur, nor is there any evidence that anyone on her team was bothered by any of the yelling that was coming from the BYU student section. If you listen to the tape, every time Rachel Richardson is serving, you just hear typical heckling from a ramped up crowd of college kids. Nowhere in the tape do you hear the N-word, nor do you see Richardson even turn around to look at the crowd, which you would think would be a natural reaction if someone were to call you such a nasty racial slur. Interestingly enough, if you look at some of the stills from the video in the game footage, you see that the BYU basketball team was also standing right next to the student section. The BYU basketball team is made up of majority black men. If one of them heard someone from their student section yelling the N-word at a black volleyball player, 
Don't you think that one of them would have intervened? Sure enough, BYU police reviewed footage from the match and said that they did not observe or hear anyone shouting the N-word at Richardson. In fact, they started actually begging people to come forward with proof of the incident, saying, we wish someone would. BYU's associate athletic director, John McBride, said in a statement, Various BYU Athletics employees have been reviewing video from BYU TV and other cameras in the facility that the volleyball team has access to for film review. This has been ongoing since right after the match on Friday night. He goes on to say that one individual who was banned after the match, which suggested that this was the perpetrator, was never seen on camera shouting the N-word, and in fact wasn't even present in the student section when Richardson claims that she heard this being yelled at her. The way that this person was identified and later banned is the subject of some controversy as well. A police officer who reviewed the footage again said that this individual was not in the student section during the fourth set, which is when Richardson says she heard one of the slurs being yelled at her, and he was never identified by his appearance. Members of the Duke University volleyball team instead said that they heard this individual's voice after the game and were able to match his voice as the same person who was shouting the N-word. So not exactly a confirmable, positive identification. Even worse, a police officer said that this individual appeared to be mentally handicapped, either autistic or someone with Asperger's syndrome. He was busy playing on his phone for most of the match and wasn't really paying much attention and said that he was mostly there because he had friends on the BYU volleyball team. So pretty quickly, it seems like this story is turning into another case of Jesse Smollett or Bubba Wallace. Jesse Smollett, of course, the Empire actor who claimed that he was assaulted in Chicago at 2 o'clock in the morning on a freezing cold night when he went to get a Subway sandwich, and two men in MAGA hats attacked him, put a noose around his neck, and told him that this is MAGA country. He was later charged with fabricating a hate crime. And Bubba Wallace called in the FBI when he thought there was a noose in his garage at a NASCAR race, and it turned out it was just a garage pool door handle. At first, it might seem suspect as to why Rachel Richardson would make up this entire incident, and you might wonder what her motivations are. But then you start looking at her family, and it all kind of makes sense. Her godmother, who again is running for public office, has a Twitter account that is filled with anti-white racism. She says in one tweet, white women and men always disappoint. In another, she says, these white folks ain't never had they ass kicked, but they better get used to it. She often calls white people crackers and in one tweet, posts a photo of herself wearing a camo jacket and explains that she feels like she is at war with white people. She repeatedly expressed having a problem with black people who marry white people and call them Clarence Thomas. Rachel Richardson herself once liked a tweet that depicted a black person whipping white slaves, and the tweet suggested that Martin Luther King Jr. would be in favor of this type of retribution. So I don't know whether Rachel Richardson was in on this the whole time, or maybe her godmother got ahead of herself and exaggerated the story, and Rachel Richardson was essentially backed into the corner and had no choice but to go along with this narrative. But clearly, nothing is quite adding up. What's mostly disturbing about it, though, is the fact that BYU thought it was appropriate to immediately throw its own school and students under the bus with zero evidence. They started groveling to Richardson and apologizing for something they couldn't even be sure happened. Finally, most disturbing of all, 
in service of this woke narrative that Richardson was the victim of this horrible hate crime while simply trying to play volleyball, these people got a mentally handicapped individual who was innocent banned from volleyball matches. These are the real heroes for society, folks. Sydney Sweeney is a Hollywood actress who stars in the shows Euphoria and the limited miniseries The White Lotus. She is actually Emmy-nominated for both of those roles in those programs and has been quickly amassing fans and fame. However, unfortunately, Sydney Sweeney has just run afoul of the cancel mob, and the reason is pretty insane, as they usually are. Sydney Sweeney hosted a birthday party for her mother. Her mother was turning, I believe, 60 years old, and the birthday party was rodeo-themed, cowboy-themed. So Sydney Sweeney and her fellow family members are seen pictured on Instagram wearing fringe jackets, cowboy boots, riding mechanical bulls, basically just having what looks to be an absolutely fantastic time. But the trouble occurred when one of Sydney's family members was pictured in a thin blue line t-shirt. And I'm sure you all know that the thin blue line refers to supporting police officers. And people were also upset that Sydney's family created what looked to be red Make America Great Again hats for the birthday party that instead said, Make 60 Great Again. The backlash was pretty much immediate. Tons of people on social media started going after Sydney, saying that she must have been a secret Trump supporter, that she was a conservative, and even if she wasn't, then her family was conservative, and she should just cut them all off, because of course you can't have any family members that you disagree with politically. That makes you a fascist too. Much to Sydney's credit, she did respond to this, but she did not apologize, which is an absolute pro move, because as we know, the woke mob is never satisfied, and when you give them an apology, you are only encouraging and incentivizing their behavior. Plus, they never accept the apology anyway. They always tell you that the apology isn't good enough, or you uh, have other things from your history or from your life that prove that you don't really mean it, and they just throw it back in your face. So Sydney Sweeney did not apologize. Instead, she tweeted, you guys, this is wild. An innocent celebration for my mom's milestone 60th birthday has turned into an absurd political statement, which was not the intention. Please stop making assumptions. Much love to everyone, and happy birthday, mom. Classy, perfect way to handle this situation, but the woke mob naturally was not finished. Instead, they kept attacking Sydney Sweeney, saying that the fact that conservatives were coming to her defense and saying how absurd it is that people were attacking her family members is proof that she is on the wrong side of history. Because apparently, even if the wrong people defend you, then you're also guilty for that too. It is obviously horrible that people think it's acceptable to go after someone's family for their political views when the family themselves are not public figures. And also to suggest that if you remain close with your family members and have things that you disagree with them on, then you're also a bad person and that's guilt by association. But even further than that, if we take it just separate from the fact that her family is supposedly conservative because they made these hats and wore these t-shirts, it shouldn't be a problem if Sydney herself was conservative anyway. Just because you work in Hollywood and because you star on a show that tends to lean pretty liberal 
shouldn't mean that you can't have your own political views, but the left has completely taken that away from everyone. If you don't agree with them on every single issue, then not only are you a bad person, you're actually evil, you're fascist, you need to be shut up, you need to be canceled, and you need to make sure that you don't have anybody paying you any money so that you can live. Apparently, the only appropriate solution for Sydney Sweeney in the left's eyes is to never talk to her family ever again, never be tagged in any photos with them, never to throw her mother a birthday party, and basically just treat them like complete shit. Because that's what makes you a good person. If you think your family has bad politics, then the right thing to do is to just treat everyone terribly, disown your family, and live like a nomad. We're all rooting for you, Sydney. We hope that you stand strong. Please do not apologize to these absolutely miserable humans because ultimately everything that they attack others for is projections of their own insecurity. These people probably have terrible relationships with their family or they don't have any family to speak of. They came home from college and went off at Thanksgiving and so their parents don't really like hanging out with them anymore. And they're upset that Sydney Sweeney is able to have disagreements with her family and still love them and cherish them. So these people are just unhappy at their very core and they take it out on everybody else. You don't know anybody in apology for being nice to your family, and you don't know anybody in apology for having your own political beliefs. That is the long and short of it. So, Sydney Sweeney, hang in there. President Joe Biden, who has been billed as the so-called unifier in chief, he was the guy who was going to bring the country together, return to normalcy, bringing back our norms and institutions is back again with some pretty extreme rhetoric about his political opponents. Now, remember, this is the same guy who once joked that he wanted to take Trump out behind the gym and beat him up. Yet somehow the media repeatedly told us that Joe Biden was actually Mr. Nice Guy. He was just old Scranton Joe, just the nice grandpa, and totally wasn't sniffing your hair either. Well, in his latest bout of demonizing his political opponents, President Joe Biden said that the MAGA ideology is akin to semi-fascism. And there's a great video on National Review's Twitter account that shows the way that Joe Biden spoke about unifying the country before he took office and the things that he says about half of the country after taking office. Here's that video. It's time to put away the harsh rhetoric, lower the temperature, see each other again, listen to each other again. And to make progress, we have to stop treating our opponents as our enemies. They are not our enemies. They are Americans. The MAGA Republicans don't just threaten our personal rights and economic security. They're a threat to our very democracy. They refuse to accept the will of the people. They embrace, embrace political violence. They don't believe in democracy. The Bible tells us to everything there is a season, a time to build, a time to reap, and a time to sow, and a time to heal. This is the time to heal in America. Trump and the extreme MAGA Republicans have made their choice to go backwards, full of anger, violence, hate, and division. But I will govern as an American president. I'll work as hard for those who didn't vote for me as those who did. If the MAGA Republicans win control of the Congress, 
it won't matter where you live. Women won't have the right to choose anywhere, anywhere. Let's start with the irony of Biden calling anyone semi-fascist when he has overseen the greatest politicization of the Justice Department in modern American history. Biden's DOJ has gone after parents who were protesting at school board meetings because they were concerned about the fact that their kids weren't in school, were being taught racism, and or were being taught that they could change their gender and were putting boys in girls' locker rooms and on their sports teams. The Biden DOJ suggested that these parents were like domestic terrorists and created a threat tag to be able to track them. The Biden DOJ also sued Georgia over its voter integrity law. They sued Texas over an abortion ban and encouraged businesses to pull their operations from Georgia because of that aforementioned voter law. The Biden DOJ recently conducted a raid on a former president's home to supposedly collect classified documents, which was an unprecedented use of a search warrant. That move to raid Mar-a-Lago was completely unprecedented, and so far we haven't seen real justification for it, especially considering Trump and his legal team had been cooperating with both the National Archives and the DOJ to return any documents that they felt needed to be returned. But we're apparently supposed to believe that it's the MAGA movement that are the real fascists, that are the real extremists. Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre was asked about the president's statement in a recent press briefing, and here's what she had to say. You know, the president has been really clear that congressional Republicans, that extreme uh, MAGA uh, agenda that you heard him talk about last week is a threat to the rule of law. Karine Jean-Pierre was asked about the president's statements yet again in another press briefing and basically repeated more of the same. Here's that video. You know, the president thinks that there is an extremist threat to our democracy. Uh, the president has been clear, as he can be, on that particular uh, piece when we talk about a democracy, when we talk about our freedoms. Uh, the way that he sees is the MAGA Republicans are the most energized part of the Republican Party. The real question is, now that the Biden administration is using this type of rhetoric against half of the country, what are they going to do about it? If they truly think that Republicans and Trump supporters are fascists, extremists, a threat to democracy, against the rule of law, then certainly they could justify continuing to mobilize the Department of Justice against anyone who holds that ideology. It certainly seems like they are either trying to provoke and rile up members of the political right so that they get themselves in trouble, or they're trying to ramp up the rhetoric so that, again, they can justify the gearing up of the DOJ to criminalize wrong speak and wrong thought. Also, someone should remind President Joe Biden that at least part of his agenda was stolen from the allegedly semi-fascist Donald Trump. It was the Trump administration who created the Buy American order that was supposed to reshore the pharmaceutical industry that Joe Biden ended up lending his support to. It was Donald Trump who set the gears in motion to pull troops from Afghanistan, although he had a timeline based on conditions that were negotiated with the Afghan government and the Taliban that Biden ignored. However, Biden, clearly spurred on by Trump's decision to eventually remove the troops from Afghanistan, decided that he needed to do it more quickly and more recklessly. Both of these policies, reshoring manufacturing and pharmaceutical industries, as well as winding down forever wars, are tenets of the America First movement. The whole idea was that domestic policy should come before wading into international conflicts 
And free trade is not acceptable if it leaves Americans in the lurch during times of national crises. But according to the Biden administration, the America First agenda is extremist and again, semi-fascism. It's awfully convenient that they can take tenets of that ideology when they like them and when they think they're politically popular and the rest of the time demonize the half of the country who really believes in that school of thought. Today in Not the Onion, California just a few days ago announced that they were going to ban the sale of non-electric vehicles by 2035. And right after that announcement, Californians were told not to charge their electric vehicles due to the heat wave. Democrats have become obsessed with electric cars over the past couple of years, but they have failed to realize the logistical nightmare that these cars create. The vast majority of the country is not properly equipped to have electric chargers. Electric vehicles do not provide people enough mobility to go on long road trips. The chargers themselves, unless you get a supercharger, can take up to overnight for a car to get fully charged. The batteries are super expensive. One individual on Twitter posted a receipt from his car's new battery that he had to get after driving just 70,000 miles and that battery cost him $20,000. The cost of these cars themselves are pretty exorbitant. The average price for an electric vehicle is about $50,000. Anyone who is concerned about gas prices doesn't probably have $50,000 sitting around that they can dump into a new vehicle. Oh yeah, and then there's the fact that the mining of the materials for the batteries in these electric cars is not exactly environmentally friendly. The batteries for the cars often require things like cobalt and lithium that require mining in Africa, and that leads to a depletion of natural resources as well as an increase in emissions of CO2. So although these electric vehicles have been heralded by the left as the car of the future, there are clearly a lot of serious problems with these vehicles. California has decided to ignore all of those problems and tell people that by 2035, they will no longer be able to purchase new gas-powered cars. Electric vehicles only, baby. People were already questioning the wisdom of this decision based on the fact that California's power grid is out pretty much every other day, and the state constantly is experiencing rolling blackouts. And sure enough, just a few days after this announcement that California was going to ban gas-powered cars by 2035, the state told electric vehicle owners that they should not charge their cars because of the state's heat wave. So if you are a household that only has an electric vehicle, you either have to hope that you have enough power to get yourself to work or your kids to school or wherever, wherever else you need to go, otherwise you are stuck at home. Now I know I've alluded to the fact that Democrats are too stupid to understand or are ignoring the downsides of electric vehicles, but the truth is this is all very intentional. As we saw during the pandemic, so much of the Democrat and progressive agenda is about controlling people. It's about keeping them down so that they do not fight back against the elites and the people in power. You can only keep people in their homes for so long before they started to go stir crazy and decided that they were just going to leave anyway. Why were people able to leave? Well, because they had cars. Cars grant Americans independence. They can get where they need to go. They can drive wherever they want. They're not dependent on a public transportation schedule. Obviously, the regime doesn't like that. They don't want Americans access to freedom of travel. They don't want Americans to be able to go wherever they want at any given time. So what is the way to prevent people from being able to move around the country or around the world? 
Well, you institute vaccine mandates for traveling out of the country. You get rid of gas-powered cars and make people drive electric cars and then limit their access to charging stations. And you make roads unfriendly to car drivers and force people onto public transportation. This is all part of a larger plan to make cars untenable so that people no longer have freedom of movement. You see what's happening? Final story in this week's episode. There is a very interesting spat and episode of drama going on in the country music industry that I am pretty obsessed with. So I'm a huge country music fan, as you guys probably know. And I follow a lot of these singers and their families on Instagram. And one family that I have really been loving lately is the Aldeans. So Jason Aldean, you guys might be familiar with, pretty famous country star, has a lot of hit songs and albums, uh, Amarillo Sky, Tattoos on This Town, Flyover States, uh, Big Green Tractor, uh, Gosh, what else is he saying? Uh, She's Country, Dirt Road Anthem. Guy has just been cranking out hits for 10, 15 years. Puts on a great show too, by the way. Well, he's married to Brittany Aldine, his wife, obviously. And they have a couple of kiddos. And Brittany Aldine has recently been very outspoken about her political beliefs. And refreshingly, she's a conservative. And Jason Aldean has backed her up on several occasions. Their kids were recently photographed wearing shirts, uh, poking fun at Biden's weird sniffing of hair and touching of children. And basically, it's just nice to follow a couple of celebrities who are willing to be conservative. And so far, it seems haven't been canceled for it because Jason Aldean is having no hard time filling up concerts. You might be thinking, okay, that's not that out of pocket for the country music industry because a lot of the fans do trend conservative, but you'd actually be very surprised about how liberal the industry itself is. Back when Morgan Wallen was caught on tape when he was drinking, sort of jokingly calling a friend the N-word, his songs were pulled out of rotation on pretty much every country radio station. He was banned from that year's award ceremonies. I believe his, his label either dropped him or put him on hiatus. And uh, he had to issue a very public apology and donate a bunch of money to the NAACP. He was dragged through the mud by other country artists. The whole thing was basically a huge fiasco. And they really tried to get rid of Morgan Wallen. But it did backfire because, again, the fans do trend conservative and uh, watched the video themselves and decided that this was not a cancelable offense. You can go watch the video for yourself if you don't know what I'm talking about. And Morgan Wallen came back stronger than ever, ended up having the best-selling country album of the year, and uh, this year ended up winning a couple of awards and is currently on a sold-out tour across the country. So the industry itself is a little more liberal than you might expect, and a lot of the singers nowadays are pretty progressive as well. So the incident that sparked the latest drama is that Brittany Aldean posted a video of her doing her makeup and jokingly wrote in the caption that she was glad that her family did not think that her being a tomboy as a kid meant that she needed to change genders because now she loves being feminine. 
And here is the video for those of you watching on YouTube or Rumble that Brittany Aldean posted on her Instagram. The exact caption on the video was, I'd really like to thank my parents for not changing my gender when I went through my tomboy face. I love this girly life. And to me, it seemed like slightly political, of course, because she's talking about the fact that kids shouldn't be able to choose their gender based on a whim. And I completely agree with her. I was a tomboy as a kid, and you see the way that some parents really trick themselves or brainwash themselves into thinking that their kids are a different gender because they don't express a desire to play with certain toys or wear certain clothes, and they end up completely damaging these kids for life. So I thought it was it was obviously kind of a funny joke, but still the caption from Brittany Aldean was speaking to something that is currently happening in society and is really harmful to children. But some country singers didn't like that Brittany Aldean was speaking her mind. Cassidy Pope, who has, I think, two country albums out now, posted on her own Instagram story with a bunch of rainbows, blah, blah, blah. You'd think celebs with beauty brands would see the positives in including LGBTQ plus people in their messaging. But instead, here we are, hearing someone compare their tomboy face to someone wanting to transition. Real nice. Let me start by explaining who Cassidy Pope is, because it annoys me that she thinks she even has a right to chime in on any of this. Cassidy Pope is a country singer, not by background, not by passion, not by the way she was raised. She's a country singer by design. She was put into country music by the music industry. Cassidy Pope actually started her career as a mid-2000s pop-punk singer. She was in a band called Hey Monday that was sort of like wannabe Paramore, wasn't quite as good. They had maybe one or two minor hit songs. Then, after her career started uh, to fade and her band wasn't doing as well, she decided to appear as a contestant on The Voice. She ended up going on to Blake Shelton's team, and throughout the competition, he had her sing a lot of country songs. Cassidy Pope won that season of The Voice, got a record deal, and started putting out country music, even though, again, she was a pop-punk singer by nature. I'm not saying that nobody can later in life develop a love for country music, or that I'm the gatekeeper of what country music is, but if you actually listen to her albums that she claims are country and then look at her musical history, it seems pretty clear to me that this was Cassidy Pope looking for an easy way to get a payday out of the music industry. So the fact that she's going after the wife of an actual country singer is just really annoying to me. It's like, you're lucky you're even here, right? Shut up. But also her actual message doesn't make any sense either. She's claiming that someone actually wanting to transition genders is not the same as someone having a tomboy phase. But that's exactly what Brittany Aldean is speaking to, is the fact that those two things have been conflated with one another. Because we do know that the vast majority of kids who have gender dysphoria will grow out of it by the time that they are adults. So in that way, a lot of this is a phase and the kids who do have real gender dysphoria, instead of being treated for mental issues, are instead told that they need to socially transition, then they get started on the puberty blockers and the hormones, and next thing you know, 
15 and 16 year olds are having perfectly healthy breast tissue cut off and 17 year olds are scheduling full hysterectomies. Brittany Aldine responded to Cassidy Pope in her own Instagram story and I'm going to read her statement in full because I think she pretty much nailed it. She said, advocating for the genital mutilation of children under the guise of love and calling it gender-affirming care is one of the worst evils. I will always support my children and do what I can to protect their innocence. The other day, Memphis wanted to be a dinosaur, and tomorrow, Navy will want to be a cat. They're children. Some parents want to be accepted by society so badly that they're willing to make life-altering decisions for their children who aren't old enough to fully comprehend the consequences of those actions. Love is protecting your child until they are mature enough as an adult to make their own life decisions. Thankful my parents allowed me to go through my tomboy phase without changing my my gender. Until then, leave children alone. But the saga wasn't over because Maren Morris, who Brittany Aldine has now affectionately called Karen Morris, which I think is hilarious, also replied to Cassidy Pope's tweet saying, it's so easy to like not be a scumbag human. Sell your clip-ins and zip it, insurrection Barbie. Uh, What a catty little bitch, right? (laughs) So Karen Morris, who's all about advocating for love and inclusivity, is attacking another woman's appearance by telling her to sell her clip-ins and uh, calling her insurrection Barbie. Seems like a really nice human. There's something really funny about this, too, because I guess she's suggesting that Brittany Aldine is fake. If you go to Maren Morris's Instagram face, you're going to see a whole hell of a lot of face and lip filler and plenty of clip-ins in her hair. So I don't know exactly where she gets off criticizing anybody else's appearance. If you want to follow more of this saga, then head on over to Maren Morris, a.k.a. Karen Morris, and Cassidy Pope's Twitter pages, and you will see that Cass, uh, Candace Owens has replied to some of their tweets and pretty much dragged them into oblivion. But needless to say, we're on Team Brittany Aldine here, and we're so glad to see her stand up for herself. We're glad to see celebrities, particularly in the country music industry, who are not afraid to be conservative and outspoken about their politics when there are so many vocal leftists. I would also say that someone else who deserves to be in that category and deserves a mention right now is John Rich, one half of the country super duo Big and Rich. He is now an independent artist and is writing his own music. I was just at the Steamboat Institute's Freedom Conference this past weekend, and John Rich was performing as the headliner for the Freedom Conference dinner, and he did an amazing job. He played one of his new songs, which is about sticking progress where the sun don't shine. Definitely give it a listen. And he also played some of his classic hits and gave uh, his own opinions on the current state of politics in America. And it was very cool. So I think that we should all be supporting people who are willing to speak out about politics, even when it's not uh, financially or socially acceptable for them to do so. One last thing for this week's episode, I have actually a little bit of an exciting announcement. For those of you who have been watching from the beginning, you know that Unfit to Print was brought back originally because I got fired from WMAL, the radio station, for making fun of Vice President Kamala Harris's outfit. Mostly, I just wanted a way to be able to continue to communicate with you guys, and your support has been absolutely amazing. Don't worry, the show's not ending. Don't get too freaked out. But the show is expanding. 
And I am really thrilled to share that Unfit to Print is also going to have a weekly radio spot. That's right, I'm going back on the radio, baby. You can't keep a good woman down. Starting Sunday, September 11th at 6 p.m., Unfit to Print is going to also be on WCBM 680, which is an AM talk radio station in Baltimore. You can actually listen online at WCBM.com. So in addition to the weekly podcast, you can also tune in Sundays at 6 p.m. starting on September 11th to hear me live on the radio. Y'all know that I love doing WMAL. I really miss being on the radio. So this is such a great opportunity. Thank you to WCBM for giving me a shot. This will be my first time solo hosting a live radio program. And I am so grateful. I hope that you guys will tune in. Again, you can listen on WCBM.com starting Sunday, September 11th at 6 p.m. That's it for this week's episode of the Unfit to Print podcast. I guess I have to say that now so I distinguish it from the radio show. That was it for this week's episode of the Unfit to Print podcast. And make sure you subscribe on YouTube, Rumble, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. If you would like to become a premium subscriber, go to amberathy.supercast.com and we'll see you guys next week.